Greet each one in Jesus' name. It's good to be with you this morning. I have a little bit of a head cold, so you'll have to bear with me. This morning, I want to look at, do I value my inheritance? Do I value my inheritance? I don't know if it's come across through in my preaching, but I really like First and Second Peter. They're two of my favorite books in the Bible. Peter said, well, Paul's writing, some of them are hard to understand. Peter's writing is pretty easy to understand for the most part. And, and yet it's quite deep at times. And so I really en- enjoy the, the books of First and Second Peter. Let's turn to First Peter chapter 1. And this morning I want to talk about our inheritance and how much value you place on your inheritance will directly influence the way you live your life from day to day. And you'll find out more what I mean by inheritance as we go along. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, or heaviness, through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Okay. Because of God's abundant mercy... We've been taken into the family of God through Jesus Christ. And not only taken in, it'd be one thing to just be taken in, but we were appointed as sons and daughters. Once we became part of his family, he wanted us to be his sons and daughters. And it says that we have been given a lively hope, a hope that is alive, a hope that is expressive. Our Savior is alive, and that's a blessing this morning. There, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have a reason to meet this morning if our Savior wasn't alive. So it's, it's just a blessing. We've been given a, a living hope. And that hope is that like Jesus was raised from the dead, one day you and I will be raised from the dead with a body that's immortal to live forever with Christ in heaven. In verse 4 it says, We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I want to look at that word reserved for a moment. Reserved in heaven for us. We have an inheritance that is waiting for those of us who remain faithful to the end. Now, the normal way an inheritance works is a parent or a loved one dies and they leave something to their heirs. That's typically how an inheritance works. This inheritance is a little bit backwards. So, this inheritance we will receive once we die. Uh, It's waiting in heaven for us. And once we pass from this life to the next, there is inheritance waiting. Now, there's this thing in life called unrealized capital gains. Have you, have you heard of that? Unrealized capital gains. What that amounts to is you have a stock or a commodity or a piece of land, uh, an, an asset, and that over time, 
it has increased in value. So the best way I could explain this is, let's say you have 40 acres of land. And today, 40 acres of land in Highland County, if it's reasonably usable, is worth about $5,000. So on paper, if you have 40 acres of land, you're, you would be, what? 5,000 an acre, yeah. So if you have 40 acres, 5,000 per acre is $200,000, if I'm doing my math right. So you'd be worth $200,000. Well, if you, if you think about it, 2008, when we had our last recession, or even just regular Highland County land prices have slowly been ticking up. So years ago, you may have bought the land for 3,000 an acre, and so you had 120,000 invested, and now it's worth 200,000. You have $80,000 of unrealized gains, right? But it's not like having $80,000 cash in the bank, is it? Because you can't just say, well, I am worth this, therefore I'm going to go spend it. There was a person come to me that had large amounts of land, but he had to also pay his hospital bills. And his land wasn't paying his hospital bills unless he decided to sell his land. And so it's an unrealized capital gain. So far, the U.S. government doesn't tax on unrealized capital gains but they're thinking about it. it. It makes sense not to tax on it because they also don't reimburse for unrealized capital losses because <laughs> it can happen. So I mentioned the recession. If land in Highland County would become 2,000 an acre and you own 40 acres, suddenly what you, if you're worth 200,000, you suddenly become worth 80,000 on, on paper. Okay. So that's the tangible aspect, and all this is based on current economic pressures and, and other things. Let's make it a little spiritual. Through no greatness of our own, and we've been in, accepted into God's family, and then, if that wasn't the greatest gift that could be given, he said, well, I want you to be able to invest in heavenly assets. Basically, he said, you can lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal, and you can have a treasures in heaven. So not only are we accepted into the family of God, there's treasures that await if we invest. And Now, how do we invest? I was thinking about how do we, because you can buy a commodity, you can buy a stock. How are you, how are you able to invest? And, and as I looked at it, God allows us to invest in heavenly assets and one of the number one ways we can invest is by helping others. That was one of like the key points. What, whatsoever you do, the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And as we help others and serve others, there's gifts that are waiting. But they're unrealized. They're unrealized. We have to, in faith, believe that there's something waiting for the faithful. And these gains will be realized once we get to heaven. As we go through life, we are constantly investing. We are purchasing shares through the use of our time. And the Bible calls these treasures when it talks about it in a positive sense. But we're also investing uh, on tangible things that will one day vaporize or be melted down when, when the earth is on fire and burns up. But these things, even tangible things, can, can and should be used for the kingdom of heaven. 
Like our, our physical assets that we have, our property, our tools, our equipment, our, our time needs to be used to further Christ's kingdom. And then these physical assets can be converted into treasures in heaven. The Bible also says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you live in anticipation of your internal inheritance, your heart will be drawn towards heaven, towards the things of God, towards things that really matter. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, starting at verse 20. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So it's saying here <clears throat> that as we serve the Lord, as we serve Jesus, as we, as we serve others, we're thinking about the fact that we're serving Christ. If, if you really want to serve others well, do it as unto the Lord. Because not everyone, in quotes, deserves uh, to be helped or doted on or, or whatever. But if you're doing it unto Christ, Christ always deserves it. And so if, the, if someone's ungrateful or doesn't thank you for what you're doing or doesn't recognize the tremendous amount of time you're spending on them or whatever it is, you don't have to worry about that because there is, a, there is one who recognizes it and seeing it. And yeah, it just says, um, knowing that, ye, that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. I will also note that not every investment is a wise investment. So the man who invested a million dollars in eight-track tapes, unless he cashed out when eight-track tapes were, you know, popular, he was out a million dollars because they were a poor design, the sound quality wasn't there, and so the worst-case scenario, the person lost a million dollars if that was his investment. But in a spiritual sense, if we do poor investments, if we invest in, in things of this world, there's a lot greater ramifications. There's eternal consequences. Because in verse 25 it says, He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done. So there's, there's a couple types of rewards. And I might be getting ahead of myself. Living for self is one of the poorest investments anyone can make. And there is a, war, a reward awaiting. Uh, Revelations 22, 11, and 12 just says this. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So there is a reward for the sinner that's a reward that you and I don't want. 
And there's a reward for the righteous that you and I would like to be partakers of. Okay, back to 1 Peter 1. In verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. I wonder if that didn't mean more to them than it means to us today. Like, when we think of gold, we don't think of all the process that goes into extracting gold. You could purchase gold now. We have cash. You could go purchase gold if you wanted to. And, but um, his readers probably had a lot more respect for this. Because when you found a rock or a mineral that contained gold, they were having to take this, this rock and they were having to crush it down in a way that the gold wasn't flying all over the place. So somehow they would crush the rocks into a powder and then they would heat it to a, a really high heat, which would purify the gold. It, the other minerals couldn't withstand the heat that gold could. And so they could extract the gold from these other minerals. And it was a process. And so it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire. We have uh, the rewards that await us, I don't think we can even imagine. And, and it's, it's, worth, it's worth everything that we have. You know, gold, because of its usefulness and the appeal to the human eye, has always been a valuable metal, but it, it pales in comparison to the treasures that await the faithful. And that is where patience comes in. Uh, I was talking to Michael, and he's, uh, I can't remember his comment, but it was something about, I, I'm willing to pay, pray for patience. And, and I said, two things that are scary to pray for is humility and patience, because they're hard to learn. And God's been really faithful every time I've desired one of those things. Because humility normally comes by getting knocked down a few steps. And, you know, it, it can come through your children. There's, there's lots of ways that God can teach you humility. And then patience. Well, you know, build a house or something and you'll start learning patience. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's many opportunities. But we need to be patient people. Um, God, who we haven't seen, yet we believe and we trust that he is preparing a place for us and that he is, he's actually protecting our assets. Like, I've heard people today that have stocks and commodities and they're fearful that they'll be worth nothing or they'll disappear. Our eternal reward isn't going to disappear. It's being protected by the greatest protection available to man. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, in my short life, I've witnessed siblings fighting over their inheritance. So as far as an earthly inheritance, I don't get that excited about it. Because... I'm not willing to fight over an inheritance. I don't want to fight over an inheritance. I mean, it's just, yeah. Um, but my heavenly inheritance is much different. I am excited about my heavenly inheritance, and I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, it is exciting. Turn with me to Genesis 25.
<clears throat> I didn't quite know where to start in with this story. We'll start in, I think, at verse 21. Genesis 25, 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together with, within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over, like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that there came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came in from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with some of that red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What shall I profit this birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold him his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, as I studied into that further, there, there was several possibilities. I, I thought that Esau sold his birthright for lentil soup and a loaf of bread which he might have sold it for more than that. But he despised his birthright, is what it said. He, I've heard of, like, drama queens, and he might have been a drama king. He come in from the field, and he, it says he was faint. So if you haven't eaten for a long time and you've worked hard, you can be faint, but you're probably not going to die. And my thought was he probably could have went to his mom's tent and said, Mom, do you have any food laying around? I'm hungry. And she would have probably fed him. But Esau wanted his needs met right away. He, didn't, he wasn't a patient man. And he, so he come in from the field, and he said, I'm, I'm going to die if you don't feed me. And then he said, what is my birthright to me if I die? Which would be a valid point. If he was at the point of death, I would say he had a valid point. Because a birthright doesn't do you any good a physical birthright if you're dead. Um, so he, but he wasn't even, I don't even think he was close to, to being dead. He, for a very small amount, he gave up a double inheritance. He gave up, the firstborn was to be the priest of the family, and Esau had no interest in that. He wasn't a godly man. And so to him, the inheritance wasn't a big deal. Esau may have even been a little spoiled, says his dad liked his cooking, and he was a man's man, a hairy man, and um, he, his dad was proud of him, I believe. And so, yeah, I think he, he was just, he was controlled by his appetites. When I look at Esau, he was a man that was controlled by his appetites, and we need to bring our appetites into subjection or they will control us. They're, they're very powerful emotions or whatever your appetite is, they're very powerful and they control the direction of one's life. 
If you have an appetite for God, you'll pursue God. You'll be filled with God. You'll, you'll, you'll desire more of him. You'll desire to grow. If your appetite is the things of this world, you'll live a life trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And those, there are those who believe in God and trust in God in their hearts and, and even gave, went as far as giving their hearts to Christ that later on could not control their appetites and I believe lost out in their inheritance. If they're, they must be brought into control. Imagine what all Esau gave up in a physical sense. How long does food last? So I've, I've, I've witnessed my wife work for a week to make a meal. You know, she froze this and got this ready and just, you know, a ton of time went into this meal. And then 30 people come over in an hour, just gone. <laughs> what took a week to prepare. So I'm going to give Esau the benefit of the doubt. Could have he eaten for an hour? I, get, I bet he was hungry and he gulped it down. That was my, my thought. He, so he was hungry. Pottage soup, lentil soup. Like, yeah, it's not even steak or, you know. And so he, he gulped this down. And then he was sustained for a number of hours. Look what he gave up. And we think, how foolish. But what do we give up when we allow our fleshly appetites to control us and to, to lead us into sin? Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I'll just stop there, just so we get that. The sin which doth so easily beset us. It's, it's easy. It's easy the, to give in to our appetites is really easy. It's, it's natural. And so we need a war against that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subject unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that, he, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. 
Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Okay, so this, this thing of inheritance, I guess my mind started going down this, this path. There was a song that the chorus sang, and it said, I would rather spend one day in your heavenly house than a thousand days living anywhere else. And so I'm thinking about this song, and I'm thinking, am I living my life in such a way that God knows I'd rather spend one day with him than anywhere else? than all the pleasures that this life can afford. And, what I, and the song goes on to say, I'd rather be a servant in your heavenly house. So not just there, but I'd rather be a servant. And the psalmist David says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so I was like, can God see that that's my desire? And then uh, I kept thinking about this song and... I got a little more skeptical because I said, wouldn't it be awful to only spend one day in God's presence? Like, if you had to then leave, if you had to come back to this world, or even go spend time with a king, there would be nothing that it would just be so heartbreaking to, to have to see the glory of God and to see the peace and the joy and you know all the things of heaven and then to be removed from that. That would be terrible. And, and when I thought about that, I thought there is a day coming. It says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Christ. There, whether sinner or saint, everyone's going to witness Christ. They're going to see Christ. They're going to behold his glory. They're going to see what they're missing out on. And there are some that are going to have eternal regret, regrets that they didn't live for Christ faithfully, that they didn't um, count the cost. And so I thought, if, if my desire is to, to be with Christ in heaven, wouldn't my desire to be with God's people here on earth? When, when the church doors are open, I want to be at church. Uh, am I willing, when there's cottage meeting, to sing till my voice is hoarse? <laughs> uh, you know, and am I happy to do it and proclaim God's goodness? Or do my 50 projects that I have going on, uh, are they more important than helping a neighbor or a brother or whatever it is? If this is the case, I better check my appetites. Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the verse right after that it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I also thought, there's many professing Christians who are looking forward to an inheritance, but don't enjoy the aspect of being a child, especially not the part of getting whoopings. Uh, it says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
How many of you like chastening? And so we fight against chastening. We, we try to get out of chastening whenever we can. Uh, if there's a trial, we think of it as this huge hardship. But if we're not a child, there's no inheritance. Is that right? So <laughs> whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So rejoice when you're going through trials. If three cows are dying, praise the Lord. You know, you're, you're, you're suffering. You might, maybe it's some chastening, I feel, is to redirect my thoughts. To say, Dave, where's your focus? What is your focus on? Some of it is to correct bad behavior. Uh, you, you know, you need to re-examine your life, see what you're doing. Some of it's to get refocused. Uh, when I thought of um, my children, sometimes they lose focus when they're given something to do, and I think that's normal childlike behavior. But how often do we lose focus of the prize at hand as, as Christians? Do we lose focus of why we're even here? Esau was constantly looking for instant gratification. Hebrews 11.24 says this, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." Now, the phrase that stuck out to me this time when I read it, it says, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Do you know what that means? For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. I didn't know what it meant. That's why it stuck out to me, because I like to figure out what the Bible's trying to tell me. And the, the phrase, for he had respect, actually means to look away from. So if uh, I... I the only thing I could think of is if someone was immodest and you were having respect for that person, you'd look away from them. Um, but the, the idea was he, he looked away. And that's, that's real important. So instead of dwelling on the things of Egypt, instead of dwelling on the treasures in Egypt, the fame, whatever, the position that he could have had in Egypt, he looked away from all that. And then he said his focus on Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to look away from the things of Egypt, the things of this world, and set our focus on Christ. Movies, music, media, produced by the world, for the world, if we, have, as, if we as Christians don't turn our eyes away from these things, we'll be des desensitized by the corruption that's in the world. You know, one, the things that were considered immodest now, probably the world would consider that fully clothed. What was considered taboo is now promoted by the leaders of our country. Uh, June has become labeled Pride Month. Uh, God hates pride, for one. But what is Pride Month? It was gay pride, a whole month of gay pride. Um, and I think if we're constantly consuming the things of this world, these things won't become shocking to us. And after a while, we'll just probably embrace it um, if we were to constantly consume the things of this world. 
Galatians 4.1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So we as the sons of daughters of God, there are times when chastening is necessary to refocus us. I was thinking about this thing of um, dying spiritually and what's easier, to live a life faithful to God or to go against the flow. And as I was just writing things down, I wrote, I was going to say that a dead fish has an easier life because it can just float downstream. But if it's dead, it's not alive. <laughs> and so from a spiritual sense, it's easier to be dead spiritually because you don't have to fight, you don't have to war against the flesh, but it's no life at all because you're dead. It's, it, it doesn't, yeah, it's not good. So we are admonished in Hebrews then, it says, to not be as Esau who despised his birthright, who was a profane person, and he just followed his baser passions. Initially, he took two Canaanite women to be his wife, or his wives. He got two wives, um, and these wives did not please his parents at all. They were ungodly, wicked women. And so he decided, well, he saw how displeased his parents were. So to make it right, he married a third woman. And he decided to marry one of Ishmael's daughters, and who didn't turn out to be any better of a person. And, at, and after he went through life, he, he fulfilled his passions and just followed the lust of his flesh. He got to the end. And he said, now I want a blessing. Now I want an inheritance. And it wasn't there. It was too late. So I wanted to give the young man an encouragement. Marry in the Lord. Marry a godly Christian woman. Um, you're, and young ladies. If Marry a, a Christian young man. Um, your spouse will affect almost every aspect of life. It's, it's a huge decision. And also don't follow your carnal appetites while dating. There's this thing of instant gratification and it's, it would, it's disastrous in a dating role. If you're just looking for gratification and you're not looking for true love and what really is gonna bring fulfillment, um, there's some patience necessary. There's some uh, waiting for the proper time. There's things reserved for marriage that God made to be beautiful in marriage and to, to work out. If you're in the habit of gratifying the flesh, whether it's your spending habits, your eating habits, your physical desires, you'll face major temptations when dating. And then after you get married, you also face temptations while you're married. It called Esau a fornicator, someone who is willing to have sexual relationships outside of marriage. And in the Bible states, when a man does this, it is a sin against his own body. We are in a race, and sometimes it seems long, and sometimes it seems hard, and sometimes we get tired, and sometimes we lose our focus. But I, I trust that we can refocus and that we can press toward the mark don't let the weight of sin hold us back from reaching the end. 
Don't be so focused on the problems at hand that we face that we lose sight of the glorious home that awaits us. And we need to put a really high value on our inheritance. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, rejoice knowing that one day you'll receive a crown of life. In closing, I just want to read one verse, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. God bless you as you strive to serve him, as you keep high priority on your inheritance, and as you walk day by day with Christ. I